Welcome to the Jabadoo Education Podcast, episode 28. And of course, the light bulb went off in my head. What if maybe we start teaching environmental science through an issues-based approach and really start with the controversy and then hook people in with the science? You're listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. I'm your host, John Ruths, and I'm going to introduce you to some of the leading professionals in the fields of education, psychology, and leadership to bring you the most relevant and up-to-date tips, tricks, and tools for you to use in your classroom. Welcome to Jabadoo. Hey, what's going on, teachers and educators? Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode where I sit down with Dr. Sammy Khan. Um, she is out at Princeton, and uh, we just have a, a really a fantastic episode. Um, she does a lot of work with socio-scientific issues, which are basically real-world problems that have been uh, presented by science, but may not have an answer uh, through science, right? So the answer must come from uh, deliberation and discussion, and uh, these issues can often have ethical components as well. And um, the example that Dr. Khan gives us today is, is football too dangerous for kids? You know, and obviously there are two sides to that, right? Either it is or it isn't. But that question um, definitely has, it has scientific components to it. Like you have to understand physics, you have to understand anatomy, you have to understand uh, psychology. But a definitive answer likely cannot be produced by science. It has to be uh, through discussion and through deliberation. Um, and so what Dr. Khan walks us through today is how we can begin to incorporate some of these socio-scientific issues into any class that we teach, any subject that we teach, um, as a way of roping our students into a story or a dilemma and then teaching our content through that real-world problem. Uh, and it's just such an interesting conversation and such a cool conversation, and I'm really excited for you to listen to it. Before we get into it, though, I want to remind you that everything that we talk about on this episode can be found on our show notes page. So if you are curious about uh, exploring any of the links or any of the resources or any of the books that she talks about, uh, you can just hop over to jabadoo.com show 28, and we will have links to everything there, including a link to our Facebook group. I uh, would love to have you come join the Facebook group and, and uh, join in on some of the discussions that are happening there. Uh, you can also sign up for our email newsletter. This is just a, a once a week newsletter that I send out, really just reminding you what episodes are coming up so you don't forget about that. Uh, some highlights from the episodes and some other things that uh, you might need to know about, about the world of Jabadoo. <laughs> uh, and then the last thing is if you are interested in supporting this show and supporting the Jabadoo Education Podcast, uh, there's two different ways you can do it. One is we have some custom-made Jabadoo original t-shirts, and these got some. These have some uh, really cool quotes uh, that are unique for teachers, so love for you to go check out those uh, and potentially order one for yourself if you would like, uh, or any of the books that are mentioned on this episode. If you find yourself going, huh, you know what, I think I might like that book. I might want to read that book. We have some affiliate links on our show notes page as well, and uh, it would just mean the world to me is if you want that book, uh, I would appreciate you going and using that affiliate link so that uh, we can get a kickback, uh, which supports the production of these episodes. So again, all of that is available on our show notes page, jabadoo.com slash show 28. All right, let's get into my conversation with Dr. Sammy Khan. 
All right, my guest on today's episode is now the executive director of the Council on Science and Technology at Princeton University. She is a routine keynote speaker and presenter and is the author of It's Still Debatable, which is a follow-up to her prior book titled It's Debatable, which is all about using socio-scientific issues to develop scientific literacy in schools. Dr. Sammy Khan, thank you so much for joining me on the Jabadu Education Podcast. How are you? I'm good, John. Thanks so much. And thanks so much for having me. Yeah, How are you today? I'm doing good. I've got all my energy for whatever reason. It was a long day. I still am filled with energy. I think it was probably because uh, how we were chatting before we hit record. I just feel like we've got a good vibe going. So we're going to keep it we rolling. Do. We do. And I so admire you for having energy after all of the hard work you've been doing <laughs> in the classroom this year. So you, you fake it till you make it right. <laughs> True. <laughs> So uh, I always like to start each episode from the beginning, which is your schooling experience. So take us back. Uh, who was Sammy Khan, the student? What were some of your interests in school? Maybe a teacher who uh, left an imprint on you, you know, good or bad. They're both good yes. lessons. Um, and what kind of took you down the path that you were on? John, I was that kid who just loved learning. And I would sit there at home with this old encyclopedia that my parents had, and I would memorize the parts of the human body and the different classes of insects. And I would bring that into school. And I fortunately had very kind, generous teachers who tolerated me <laughs> so sit there and speak Greek letters to them and, and all of that. Um, and I can, point, I can point to the five different students in my building that I'm like, oh, it's that student. Okay. <laughs> That's, you know that we've all had those students and I was that student, at least in elementary school. And I had this one wonderful science teacher in elementary school, Mr. Kaufman, and he really encouraged us to just explore. And I was already doing that at home. So, you know, I remember I would sit in, in the yard and I would mark snails with a marker to see which ones came back. And I would, you know, make little maps of them. And, and he, he humored me, you know, he would say, this is awesome. Now try this. Uh, I was mixing different glue and mucilage and things and I'd bring it into school and he'd say, oh, well, what, what properties can you find out about it? And so he really encouraged me. Um, and that, that had a lasting impression on me. Um, so I loved elementary school. Middle school, I think, was a little tougher. And I think that's a common experience. You know, uh, I liked the teachers very much socially. It was more awkward. Uh, more about who sits where at the lunch, you know, the lunch tables and things like that, that became more important. Middle school um, is the three years where we stop being human beings. And we just much. like, <laughs> and then eventually you work your way back into the species. But for those three years, it's, it's all, who knows? Right. And when I look back at those pictures, I really did look that bad. You know? <laughs> it's just not a good stage. Uh, and then high school was interesting because I had some really excellent teachers and who, who I just really enjoyed their passion for their subject. But then I had some other teachers who were actually quite discouraging. Um, one in particular who I remember um, and I was just so excited. It was a science class. And I was so excited to take that class. Had waited years to take that class. Mm -hmm. And I remember in the middle of class one day when I was answering a question, he said, Sammy, don't even bother. Girls will never be scientists. So just don't even bother. And I was really humiliated, you know, and, and I was I was angry and upset, but I also re really respected teachers. You know, I was taught to respect teachers. So yeah. both my parents were teachers. So um, I wasn't sure what to do with that information, but I knew I felt 
really badly about yeah. it. Um, and hopefully so, not a statement we hear anymore in 2020, but I mean, the, the psychology behind that is still kind of ingrained in, in some teachers. I think it is. You may not yeah. hear the words, but you know, you and I both know students know what you're, how you're feeling towards them. Students yeah. know if a teacher respects them or they don't. And so um, hopefully we can convince more teachers, all teachers that you know, every student, every child can achieve in science or whatever else they're teaching. Yeah. Oh. Yeah. So uh, maybe that was maybe part of the influence then that actually pushed you. Uh, your undergraduate was actually started out in music, which I was a huge fan of when I read that. <laughs> I know we have something in common. We do. Yeah. yeah. So, um, I mean, what was what was the path that took you into music then? Well, I had actually started playing trumpet in third grade. So my passions as a child were number one, science, number two, music, and number three, sports, especially baseball, especially when I was young, New York Mets baseball. And then later, Yankees. Ooh. So I'm a native New Yorker. Um, but sorry. Is that the end of our conversation? Are we going to cut <laughs> no, me off right okay. here? That's okay. I just, <laughs> so I, I, was feeling, I was feeling for you as a Mets fan, but that's okay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I feel, I feel for my child, <laughs> for my child period. So um, yeah, those were my three loves. And that really has remained my, my passion throughout. But you're absolutely right. That teacher and perhaps one other in high school, really turned me off of science and made me think that that wasn't a good path for me. And, you know, when you walk into the, the guidance counselor's office in 11th grade or whatever, and they say, well, what are you going to major in college? And I said, well, I always wanted science, but now I don't like it. And he said, well, what else is there? I said, well, music. Mm-hmm. And so that was how that went. Um, so I actually studied both in college, music and biology. And I do, I love them. I love them both, but I realized pretty soon after graduation that science was calling me. Um, So I went back to graduate school at Rutgers University uh, for ecology and evolutionary biology and during that and some education um, pieces to that as well. And then I was hired during my time at Rutgers to work on grant funded um, professional development programs for teachers. And I have never looked back because science education has been just the best career ever. I couldn't have imagined anything better. Yeah. Um, And you are just, you seem like a professional student. I I fear that I might also be a professional student and I'm probably going to go back and get my PhD and who knows what else in in the future of my career. But um, you also then went and you got your Juris Doctorate uh, for environmental issues, right? Never, never expecting to practice, but just to have the knowledge. So talk us, talk us through the decision of why, why did you do that? Okay, so I was working at Rutgers, as I mentioned, and we were doing these wonderful professional development programs. So I was doing in-class support for teachers all around New Jersey. Think about what an awesome job this was. I would go into classrooms all around the state, work in the classroom with teachers to try to improve the science teaching and equity specifically to make sure that women were having opportunities in science, students of color, students with disabilities. And I just love this work. And the other piece of it was that we would run professional development programs for teachers at Rutgers. So there was this one summer we were doing environmental science and cooperative learning. And the idea was that for K to eight teachers, um, they would understand how that cooperative learning could be taught in an equitable, used in an equitable way to teach environmental science. And this one day we were talking about oil spills. Now I'm going to date myself We're talking about the mid-1990s. So this wasn't very far after uh, a very big oil spill, the Exxon Valdez. 
which had happened in 1989. So it was still in people's memories. Mm -hmm. And so we talked about the oil spill and then we modeled the oil spill to try to understand what are different properties of the oil, what might be an appropriate way to clean up. um, And then of course, how would you prevent oil spills? And one of the things that I noticed was there were some teachers who were just totally into this, right? They loved, you know, working with the materials and really loved understanding the science and the properties and, and things like that. But then there were some teachers who just weren't that into it, you know, particularly some elementary teachers who didn't love teaching science and were, you know, a little bit reticent about learning these things. But on this one day, one teacher raised his hand and said, hey, what happens if a a tanker that's from, I don't know, somewhere maybe Sweden or Norway, it's carrying oil and it runs aground off the coast of the United States, but it's too far off the coast and it's closer to wherever. And it's, you know, and he's going through this whole big issue. And I remember standing there and I remember I, at this time, I'm in my early twenties, you know, and here's a teacher asking me something that I have absolutely no idea about, none. So I said, I have no idea. Anybody want to weigh in? And next thing I noticed, this room was going wild. Teachers were saying, wait, but I think it should be the country where the accident happens because they're the closest. They're the ones who should clean it up. But then somebody said, oh, but I think it should be the country that's shipping the oil. No, I think it should be the oil company. I think it should be the shipping company, right? And they're having this debate. And I watched and I noticed that there were teachers who formerly hadn't been that excited about the science. Now suddenly we're hooked into the issue. And of course the light bulb went off in my head. Yeah, of course. What if maybe we start teaching environmental science through an issues-based approach and really start with the controversy and then hook people in with the science? And there is where you have my rationale for law school. I was actually at Rutgers teaching at Rutgers at the time. So it wasn't a big stretch to go to school at night there. And it was a lot of the tuition was covered because I was employed there. So I was able to study and I did exactly that. I worked in controversial issues and understanding using evidence in argument to help teachers to teach controversial issues in their classroom. So, yeah, it all makes sense. I know when you look at it on somebody's <laughs> you look at it on CV, paper, you're like, what a mess. <laughs> what a mess. What's she been doing all her life? But it actually made a lot of sense. And, yeah. and actually, during that time, I what my daughter was diagnosed um, with a disability that it, it actually helped me quite a, a lot to understand the legal ramifications of that mm. and to also help her and help other students with special needs to be an advocate, right? And really an advocate for, for both sides, for schools and for families to help everyone understand that it's best if we're on the same page and best if we're all working, you know, to help to help children. So um, yeah. yeah, so it all, it it is, all made sense. It does. And it's just so cool to hear all these little threads that have been woven through your life that have gotten to you to where you are, because you ultimately then went and got your PhD uh, down in Miami. Am I remembering that correctly? Uh, Tampa, right. But Tampa, that's that's okay, many enough. years later, <laughs> many, many, many years later. So yeah, I actually, there were 12 years teaching at an independent school in New York City um, in between that. So okay. um, at a certain point with Rutgers, because my daughter's education needs, I ended up moving into New York City so she could attend a school there. And then I did the reverse commute for a while. That didn't work well. Mm. So I ended, I, I accepted a position teaching and uh, as a science coordinator at a wonderful school in New York. And I taught there for 12 years teaching 
uh, elementary science, ninth grade biology, 11th, 12th grade environmental science, <laughs> uh, sometimes on the same day, believe it or not. Oh, so man. there were some days where I would start in fourth grade and then run upstairs and teach 11th, 12th grade, then come down, teach first grade, then go oh, back goodness. upstairs to ninth grade. And I'd have to on the stairs think about what's my language, you know, what's my what's my tone, what's my language going right. to be, because it's really hard. You get into that mindset oh my goodness, of, hi, kids. <laughs> <laughs> you know, that's not I a mean, good way to even, walk into 11th grade. <laughs> no, and even the difference, I mean, as an elementary teacher, the difference between going from third First grade to, to fourth grade. Right, exactly. The, I mean, that's only two years apart, and it's a completely different uh, approach. So, that's yeah, right. jumping from 10th grade all the way down to first grade, oh, my goodness, that you need an entire probably five minutes just to shift your mind back into <laughs> <laughs> into how to deal with the the population that you're going to serve. Um, so from that from that experience as a teacher, uh, can you maybe highlight uh, a high and a low that um, ultimately then led you to pursuing your PhD later on? I would say the high, and maybe this is the same for so many. I think it is the same for so many teachers is when you see a student who you weren't sure if they'd be able to grasp something or excel at something, when you see that actually happen. That for me was always the most amazing thing. It makes um, your whole week. It makes sometimes. your week, your month, your yeah. year. Sometimes you're just grasping onto that, you know? And I had several, so, you know, it's not all the time. Those are very fortunate opportunities, but when that did happen, it really sustained me. And, um, and I can even, as I'm saying this to you, I'm seeing the, the students in my mind, you know, the ones yeah. that really stood out and they're the ones who were struggling or who had, you know, whatever challenges and then you, and then they get it and you just think, okay, this is worth it. This is worth the sleepless nights and the worrying and the preparing and all of that. So those, those are the highs. Um, for me, the lows we're really usually with adults, not with students. <laughs> okay, we'll save that for Always, another podcast. Right? <laughs> <laughs> Always. Um, I would say for me, perhaps the lows were when I felt, and it was normally with myself, that I felt frustrated with myself for not um, necessarily handling situations uh, the way that I should have. I, I can be sort of an armchair quarterback. I think every teacher <laughs> is taught and should reflect you know, each day on what went well, what didn't go well, what would they do differently? And, you know, there were times um, when I think I should have really focused more on the student and less on the content. Um, mm. I was particularly early in my career, very focused on what have I got to teach? You know, what, what do we got to get across? Because those, right. those are the tangible things, right? That's what's right. in front of you. That's what's in the book that you've been given on what you need to teach. So you that's go through right. the book and you check off the list and that's what you can accomplish in your first year of teaching. And that's okay. And that's okay, right? You survival. <laughs> you survive, yes. <laughs> but yeah, that's, I mean, that's been a recurring theme in this podcast is just the importance of if you need to set the curriculum to the side for 30 minutes and make those connections with those kids, that time that you quote unquote waste Right. will be earned back later on. 100%. Exactly. Yeah. 100%. That's really the lesson that I would say to any new teacher is just that put that time in to get to know your students. It will pay off in truly just over and over. And I say the same thing about team building. 
and the social skills, mm-hmm. um, you know, have some time for students to get to know each other, uh, because that's a really good investment. And the, the times that were hard for me was when I didn't do that. And then I realized afterwards, I'm trying to motivate students when they still don't even trust me. They don't yeah. know that I care deeply about it goes them. back to that hierarchy of needs. You're exactly right. Yeah. Maslow had something wrong. Yeah, yeah, he figured out something. Yeah. That. yeah. But you know, um, we don't always teach that in, in teacher education. It's not necessarily what we're teaching, right? right? I still look at the lesson plans and it's still what's your goals, what's the standards, you know, what's the formative assessment, summative assessment, et cetera, et cetera. But it doesn't usually say, what are you doing to get to know your students in this mm-hmm. lesson? You know, how are yeah. you showing you care in this lesson? And that really does matter. I know some people think it sounds mushy, but it's not. It, it matters deeply. Yeah. Very important. It is just because it's not tangible. It's not It's not something you look at and you say, that's that's what happened right there. You see it? Check it off. Done. No, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's in the moment. It's, it's uh, organic. Um, but you, uh, just to go back and highlight something that you said was, um, you know, those light bulb moments that of course we all as yes. teachers, we love those moments for me personally. Um, I get, I get a bigger high from seeing a struggling student get up with the rest of the class than I do from a cl- student who's with the rest of the class excel. Totally. Like, I, it's, it's one of those things where it, it's, it's, I'm not sure if it's the underdog story that we all root for. And then all of a sudden there he is, he's with everyone. Right. Um, but yeah, uh, so cool. So um, we had that, you had that teaching experience there for 12 years and then went down, you did your PhD uh, in <laughs> curriculum and instruction, which I believe is uh, curriculum. Yeah. Curriculum and instruction is what my mom's is as well. Uh, episode oh, 24. Um, yeah. And science curriculum too. Um, so what was the, the process then um, your dissertation work? Uh, how did that all uh, come about? So just to just to go back just a couple of years, so I was actually nearing the end of my 10th year in my teaching position, and my daughter was doing really, really well, and she was going to be heading off to graduate school. And I, for a long time, had been just wondering, what is it about this research stuff? You know, um, things were always crossing my desk, and it would say research-based you know, curriculum, or this framework has a strong research base. And I would start to read things, but my eyes would glaze over because I really (laughs) didn't understand these studies. And I noticed it's a lot of people at the colleges, but they weren't in the classrooms. And I Mm -hmm. felt, well, I know what's going on in my classroom. So I have some expertise about my classroom, but how do I, how do I know what to trust? And why do certain things work? And why don't they? So that really inspired me. I wanted to learn more. Um, And so I, I chose University of South Florida because the key person who studies this area of called socio-scientific issues or the yeah. use of controversial issues in science was there. And I had the opportunity to go there on a full fellowship. So I did. I packed up from New York and went down to Tampa for a few years. And um, and it was just amazing. I got to, I mean, they basically had, were, were funding my education and paying me to learn and to just do research and I taught a bit down there as well, university, and I was just immersed in trying to in understanding the theory and the philosophy and the research base behind so many things that I had done in the classroom over the years. It was and, amazing. And elementary you is jumping for joy. <laughs> there was an elementary me inside going, wow, now I get this. This is so cool. So yeah, it was it was just a wonderful, really profound experience. And I have to say, and I was an older student. Um, this was only a few years ago. And, um, and I was glad about that because there was no anxiety about, 
I didn't care about grades. I didn't care. You know, it wasn't for that. It was purely for the love of wanting to understand my craft and really wanting to make more of an impact um, in, in teaching. So it was just wonderful. I had a great experience there. And you asked about the dissertation. My dissertation was on, uh, it's called a conceptual, analysis, a conceptual analysis of socioscientific issues, um, something like that. Right, right, right. But basically, I, I became very interested in the construct uh, of perspective taking, like, what does it mean to take some, a, a perspective in a controversial issue? So let's say you and I are discussing something like, should you have fluoride in water? Or um, is football too dangerous for kids? Or should the Gardasil vaccine be mandated for all students? Um, Things like that. You might have one thought on it. I might have another. You know, what does it mean for me to take up your perspective? And that's important because if we're not open to others' perspectives, then of course we're just going to be a juggernaut. It's we're yeah, going to be stuck and, and not go. It's going to be like Congress. So we want to make <laughs> you sure. You said it, not me. I was, I was thinking it. <laughs> so I'm sure all the listeners to, were too. There you go. So we want to make sure that students are able to hear different opinions, uh, particularly evidence-based opinions, and not just become more deeply entrenched in their own views and. Yeah. That's really important because that's not very natural for people. It's people. it's very anti-natural. Yeah, I, I forget <laughs> yes. where it really is. I forget it where really I heard it. But um, if you have a and this this was talking about beliefs, which uh, are in this conversation were considered stronger than opinions, right? right? You have a, a belief that's a, a it's a guttural feeling of something. If you right. are presented with information that is counter to that belief. Instead of releasing that belief, you anchor to it even more deeply. That's right. um, so if you're not taught to have these nuanced conversations in a way that allows you to see these different perspectives and really change some of these beliefs, then we are left with, you know, what our uh, political system looks like today, this extreme divide on different sides who are unable to see across the aisle and, and make those concessions that are needed for progress. And um, this like, uh, uh, anti-intellectualism that we're kind of experiencing with this fear of science and what it can tell us. Um, yeah, I mean, incredibly, incredibly important uh, conversations to be had with as early as uh, elementary students. Yeah. Kindergarten. Oh, absolutely. And you you really hit it on the head there, John, because we know that when people hear uh, ideas that are counter to their deeply held beliefs, they do become more entrenched. And what's really interesting is then there's a propensity of people to start throwing, you know, evidence. So I have proof. Here's what I see. And you know what happens then. Conspiracy people just, theories. <laughs> conspiracy theories. And people cherry pick the ideas, right? Absolutely. So they'll they'll choose the data that supports their opinion yep. or their ideas rather than that's looking what at bias it in is. a balanced way. And that's where bias, you're absolutely right. So there's cognitive bias. And then this is you know, what really prevents people from doing this. It's not an easy nut to crack. And we know that, but there are ways of using pedagogy through, let's say, socioscientific issues or SSI to help open the minds, to help students to hopefully not have that immediate reaction, or if they do, to then step back and say, okay, now let me see if I can hear this other idea. How can I weigh the opinion? How can I assess the source of the opinion, Uh, understanding media literacy and things like that, and really then 
um, you know, being hopefully able to make an evidence-based decision. That's the hope. That's the hope. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, but I, it's a it's a great uh, segue into then your work with this concept of uh, socio, what did I say, socio-scientific issues. So I wrote down this definition from what I found on Google, because Google is okay. a trusted source, right? Right, right, um, right. So socio-scientific issues are controversial, socially relevant, real-world problems that are informed by science and often include an ethical component. That's very, very good. I do agree with that. I do. Um, Very much so. I would say that they, they don't all have to be heavily controversial. But the idea is that they're, they're, they're challenging because they may be informed by science, but they're not necessarily answered by science. So for example, you could have the question, will my water, my pot of water boil? Uh, at such and such a temperature, and the you know the answer is yes. At such and such a temperature within it certain not, parameters, right? it's going to write. That's not controversial, or at least in most cases, that's not controversial. Unless you're going right? to take in air pressure. And well, and what? that would be right under certain <laughs> conditions, right? You're absolutely right. But then you have these other. I thought questions. he was supposed to be a music teacher. Who is this guy? <laughs> <laughs> but you had a science teacher, a mom. I so. did. I did. Yes. <laughs> And she'll be very proud of me. (laughs) Yes, I'm sure she is. Um, But, you know, this idea of the controversy is that these do touch on science and you need to have some science information to resolve them. But the science alone doesn't resolve them. And that's really where the controversy is. So typically it's that there's some other aspect, an ethical aspect. It could be economic or it may touch on religious beliefs or it may touch on um, uh, political beliefs, um, things like that, that make it more controversial. Uh, And so the use of these types of issues is really critical in giving students that real world experience to tackle things uh, that too many people underestimate what students can do. And so even at a young level, having students grapple with these issues, starting to think about where do they get their information from? What are their beliefs? Where did they get their beliefs from? And then, you know, taking the science and think, okay, how can I negotiate the science and these other influences to come up with my ultimate stand on an issue? Right. Yeah. And I think that what's so cool about this concept is that it doesn't uh, it forces you to not be isolated in certain areas of what you're learning. You do have to pull in this thing from this political opinion and this part of this science thing and this over here and pull it together in this real world example, where as opposed to, you know, how school currently is set up, you do your reading and then you do your math. And then you do your social studies and then you do your science. And then maybe you go to a unified arts class and you do your music and then you come back and then you do your language and it's all segmented. And what right. this forces you to do is it says, well, in life, <laughs> we experience all of these things at once, right? They're not segmented. I mean, can you imagine four o'clock? Okay. This is time for us to talk about what books we read today. Like, I mean, it's just, it's not realistic in, in our reality. So, um, that's what I really like about just this concept is is forcing us to integrate all these other things that we learn. Um, you know, just for, for me as a, as a music teacher, it reminds me of just, you know, all of these blocks that we learn throughout the day. For me, those are my scales, right? Do, re, mi, fa, so, la, ti, do. Right. But if that's all you ever learn, you're never going to play a song. 
Exactly. Oh, I love that. I love that idea. That's a great metaphor. It's, it's fantastic. And it's, it's exactly true that we, we teach in silos and then we expect students to apply it in some sort of congruent way, but we are not really giving them those experiences. And that just doesn't make sense. We also know that when, when, when um, content is taught in these types of integrated contexts, students remember it better. They're able to apply it better. Absolutely. It's more meaningful to them. And so then it's longer lasting. And the research on this socio-scientific issues uh, framework is so compelling on all of those areas. Students have higher scientific literacy. And by that, I mean being able to apply science in their everyday lives and in society. Um, and they do retain content longer and they do, um, you know, are able to apply it in different contexts or generalize it to different contexts. And that's what we're trying to do, right? In, in education yeah. and better perspective taking skills, more empathy towards others and towards issues and so on. So it's pretty extraordinary. Yeah. Um, and the, the one thing that just pops into my head right now is a teacher hearing this conversation and going, well, how on earth am I going to have time to figure out how to bring that all together into something where I'm still trying to teach this, but I'm bringing this in from here and I'm trying to teach this from over here. You've got a book that kind of hopefully does that, right? <laughs> I do. I can make a shameless plug. Um, <laughs> do it, please. Shameless plug. Um, well, It's Debatable was the first book that came out a few years ago, and that's K-12 through as an introduction um, to this socio-scientific issues um, framework. And then more recently, my book, It's Still Debatable, that's really geared towards K-5 to in the sense that each of the lessons is assigned with the next generation science standards for K-5. to Although I would say that the lessons themselves could be extended very, very easily to any grade level. So just as an example, one of the issues is, is football too dangerous for kids? Right. right. So if you think first, what's the science in that question? Well, you know, what do we need to know? Well, we probably need to know something about forces in motion because football is about the motion, the crunching, <laughs> the yeah. hitting and so yeah. on. And that has an impact on the human body. Okay, what part of what parts are we particularly yeah, concerned anatomy, about? Anatomy, yeah. right? So you've got anatomy, neurosis, you know, neurology, the brain. Uh, then you also, the, the trickier one is then what do we do about that? Well, we have them wear helmets and other protection. How does that work? Well, that's, again, the forces in motion, but also properties of materials, right? How do we, why are helmets made the way they are? How do they work? So and the psychology in, of feeling indestructible. And that's, that's very, very <laughs> true. You're absolutely right. So you've got all of that science that's potentially explorable within this one question, but then we've also got that ethical dilemma question, right? So think about some of the issues there. Who should make the decision about whether football is too dangerous for kids? Should that be schools making the decision? Should it be government making the decision? Should it be parents making the decision, um, right? What about the economics of this? You know, what are the long-term societal damage to having students playing football or aren't there? Um, you know, so there's all kinds of, aspects of this that become that, that make it a much trickier issue than it might seem. And so if you're a teacher saying, you know, well, wait a second, I don't have time to do all of these things. Well, I would say if you did take a look at the book, uh, as an example, the most recent one, it's in a 5e lesson format, uh, all the materials are included in there. So typically, let's say that the first E of the 5e's would be um, engage. So there's something that engages the students, it could be a hands on activity, it could be a picture book reading, it could be watching a video, 
let's say with the football one, watching a video on, you know, football and forces in motion, mm -hmm. or even just exploring with some different helmets from different sports and thinking about what they do and why. Um, then there might be um, a, a hands-on science activity on the forces in motion. Then there'd be uh, for the explore. Uh, for the explain, there would be an opportunity for teacher and students to discuss what's happened. The extend might then be some kind of controversy. It could be a debate. It could be where students are um, on a Senate subcommittee, uh, in a mm -hmm. Senate subcommittee hearing. It could be that they're on the school board uh, and they're trying to write the rules for their school and research what are the rules about football and our school and contact sports. And then taking, and then as the assessment, having some way for students to take what they've learned through the science and the issues and bring it all together to present that in a way that um, that is compelling and makes allows you to assess that they've learned what you want them to learn. So um, if you don't have to reinvent the wheel as a teacher, there's resources out there um, like these two books. But I would also say to anybody, start small. You are all everything you're teaching right now has an SSI component. So no matter sure. what you are teaching, whether it's science, social studies, it, I don't care what, there's something in what you're teaching that has some societal issue that is potentially controversial. And then you use that as a launching point to get your students motivated and give them an opportunity to have discourse. Discourse doesn't mean debate. It could be written. You can have discourse through cartoons. You could have discourse through music. <laughs> right? You can have, uh, right? Opera is discourse, I would think, right? You can have them singing arias to each other. In, oh, my, in my fifth graders issue. would love that, I'm sure. <laughs> right? So, um, but that's, you know, I think it's important to realize nobody has to reinvent the wheel. A lot yeah. of what you're doing is already what what is a large part of this. Yeah. Um, and I, if I, I don't remember the exact, but I think this, it was around $40, right? So a very manageable, um, Am I correct in that? Is it I should know. Yeah, I should know that. I yeah. should know that answer. <laughs> I guess it I don't get on, much. <laughs> so depends on where where you're ordering it from. Um, yeah. But we will we will have a link in the show notes for that. Uh, copy that book plus all of all the other books that you've authored in case anybody yes, wants to go check those out. Um, yeah, it's we'll, National we'll Science there. Teachers. It's National Science Teachers Association Press or NSTA okay. Press. Yeah, right. they're available there. Yeah, very cool. Um, yeah, really, really interesting uh, concept, and I'm, I'm so glad we were able to dive into it. Um, let's make Princeton University happy here for a second. Uh, you are now the executive director of the Council of Science and Technology at Princeton, no. which, no, oh, I said it wrong. You're right. I even That's have it okay. out there. The Council okay. on Science, That's I said it. it right in the first time. <laughs> the you Council on Science and Technology at Princeton University, which has the mission uh, to seek or it seeks to ensure that all members of Princeton University community, regardless of their background, experience, or discipline, can engage with, appreciate, and apply science in their everyday lives, in their careers, and in society. And that kind of just culminates everything that we just talked about, right? So uh, highlight- That's why uh, what, I took the job. That's why <laughs> you took the job, exactly. It's literally the culmination of everything I have worked towards. I, you know, um, prior to this, I was a teacher, I was a, a assistant professor at Ohio University in teacher education, and then all the years in teaching, and that's it. It's to advance scientific liter literacy uh, everywhere. And so making sure that everyone at, Pr at Princeton University and beyond um, is able to, to integrate STEM and use it 
really use it. Um, and so my office, we have this wonderful opportunity to either through course development and work with faculty or research or uh, outreach, we're able to um, leverage the background of the really talented people in my office to just advance STEM literacy wherever we can. And so really so fortunate to have a position like this. Yeah, that's fantastic. So um, yeah, we will link up um, the website there for uh, everything that you're working on over at Princeton University. We'll have a link for that in the show notes as well. Um, and if anybody is curious about uh, anything that you're doing, um, we'll go check, check that out. Um, is there anything else that you wanted to touch on before we wrap up here with our exit ticket questions? I, I think we've hit it unless there's something you're... I've I feel, like, I feel like we've done a pretty good job. This has been a really, really insightful conversation. I'm so happy to bring you on. Uh, this was fantastic. It's because we're musicians. So, it's because we're musicians. Let's, let's, let's say that. That's the reason. It is. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, that takes us then to our exit ticket questions. These are the same four questions that I ask every guest who comes on. And the first question is, do you have a book recommendation that teachers should go read? We already do highlighted another, yours. I'll so do another that was... shameless plug. <laughs> well, that's that's the it. one that I would go with. I would go with it's still debatable. But honestly, um, I was going to suggest if teachers are interested really in some great science teaching resources, go to the National Science Teachers Association site, and it's nstam.org, and take a look. You can, they have a wonderful site where you can sort of shop online. Okay. Um, I would highly recommend looking at um, Michael Bowen's work uh, he has a book on basics of data literacy. Hmm. I think it's really excellent, really thinking about how to understand data. Again, another important daily uh, daily task that we need to do in our lives. And I think that he lays it out particularly well. And another book series um, by Victor Sampson called Argument Driven Inquiry, which hmm. is People hear that and they think it's like SSI. It's actually quite different. It's That's more about the argument argumentation within science. So in other words, how scientists might might look at the or interpret the results of something and then what might that argument be? What how do you take the evidence from that investigation and um, you know and use that to understand science? So I yeah. would say both of those books and series are, are quite excellent. Okay. Yeah. And that's uh, something that's come to my mind recently is just how you know, especially um, science that that uh, research that pops out data points, right? That says here's 50% and here's 21%. Depending on how that data is analyzed, you can have biases inserted into it. You can have slants taken on that information. So you do like the importance of understanding what the data is saying is super, super important. So that's uh, a fantastic, um, really fascinating book that's out there. I wouldn't even consider that uh, somebody had written, well, somebody has written something on everything, I'm sure, but <laughs> that's, <laughs> um, that's, that's awesome that uh, that was one of your suggestions. So. But, but these are, and they're particularly just good for, they're meant for teachers and they're written in that way. And both of these people are experienced teachers. And so, and you know, the difference when you're reading something for teachers, sure. when it's written by teachers or people right. who have been teachers, as opposed to those who haven't. Yeah. So yeah, they're wonderful resources. Awesome. Uh, question two then is what resource <laughs> would you? Uh, I think uh, we covered that. We kind of yeah. did, right? Between yeah. uh, the um, goodness, the website you just said with all the books uh, was NSTA, yeah. uh, National Science Teachers Association.org. 
And then when you're on that site, you'll see the bookstore. And so just go to the bookstore, the pu- their publishers, NSTA Press. Okay. They're wonderful. Yeah. Any, any other ones that come to mind really quick, or that's the one that you were going to suggest? The, those were the ones I was going okay. to suggest. I All mean, right. you know, there, there's just wonderful science series, uh, several yeah. of them. Awesome. Cool. Uh, question number three then is what piece of advice we actually probably even touched on this a little bit too. What piece of advice would you want to give teachers, particularly those who are just starting out their careers? Yeah, we did touch on that already, um, which I mean, my, my top suggestion, as I said, is to focus on the students, you know, you're, you're going to focus on the content and getting through the material that you need to do. And that's totally natural and normal. And that first year is about survival. But once you get past (laughs) that, really, you know, really give some thought to how you're getting to know your students. What do, what are their interests? What are their passions? What are those things that that motivate them or demotivate them and and really try to understand that and that will be very, very valuable to you. I I would also say since we covered that one, I wish I weren't so afraid when I was starting out. I was afraid to have controversy in my classroom, Mm. you know, so even though I was interested in these controversial issues, I was nervous about controversy. I thought, oh my gosh, what if my principal walks by my room and hears the students arguing and thinks I don't have good classroom management skills, or what if, you know, it doesn't look like science because they're just talking. Um, And so I would say embrace the controversy right? Embrace the controversy. And it's a great idea. Talk to your principal beforehand. Um, Make sure they understand that what you're doing and why you're doing it, that there's a strong research base for this. Talk to parents and make sure they understand what you're doing because the students may be coming home and talking about some of these issues with them. Talk to your colleagues, try to embrace them joining you in this, find out what their expertise is, and they can be partners in this with you. Um, you know, don't, don't teach in a silo, make sure that you're part of the larger community and, uh, and don't be afraid. It's, it's going to be okay. (laughs) It's going to be okay. (laughs) (laughs) Don't teach in silos. Maybe, maybe that should be the title of this uh, episode. I feel like that. That's a good one. Uh, Embrace the controversy one. (laughs) And then then the subtitle, don't teach in a silo either. (laughs) We'll we'll figure something out if that's not the title, but that's um, great. Yeah. And then question number four is if anybody has any questions about what they heard today or just wants to reach out to you, um, where would be the best place to send them? A few different places. I have a website that's sammycon.com and you can reach me through there. There's a little icon for the email contacting me on Twitter. I'm at Sammy Science and uh, my email, you can certainly just email me at Sammy. It's S-A-M-I-K. So like Sammy Khan, just the case, S-A-M-I-K at Princeton.edu. And I'd be thrilled to hear from you. Absolutely thrilled. We can talk about what you're doing in your classroom. If I have any resources, I'll be happy to share them with you. Uh, we can brainstorm together. Um, yeah. I'm, I'm absolutely would be thrilled to hear from your listeners. Yeah. And obviously, you know, that would be a, an in for all of the work that uh, you were doing over there at the Council on Science and Technology <laughs> at Princeton University. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes. Those tigers absolutely. happy over there. <laughs> yes, go tigers. And that is, and it would make me very happy. It would make everyone there very happy to hear from teachers. So yeah. thank you. Yeah, well, Dr. Sammy Khan, thank you so much. This is this was just a delightful conversation. I think we covered a lot. I think we covered some really good stuff, and hopefully, the listeners got some value out of it. So, 
I hope so too. Thank you so much, John. This is such a pleasure. It's wonderful meeting you. And I'm so grateful to you for having this podcast. I'm grateful to you for everything that you're doing to, in, to um, inspire students in music. And I'm so grateful for you doing what you're doing this crazy year. And, and to all the teachers listening. To all um, the teachers, so yes. To thank you so very much. You are changing the world one student at a time. And, um, and it so matters. So thank you so much to everyone. All right, and there you have it. And obviously a big thank you to Dr. Sammy Khan for joining me on this episode. Um, yeah, if you've been listening to this podcast for a while, you've heard some uh, recurring themes come up in this episode, uh, kind of like you know, making connections with your kids or uh, reflecting daily. Um, but uh, there's a lot to highlight here about these socio-scientific issues, right? Um, the first one is uh, if, if you are a if you have a really strong opinion about something, uh, chances are you probably don't know enough about the oppositional stance, right? That's something that I have personally discovered. Anytime I take the time to learn about what's on the other side of this argument, my argument is, doesn't feel as strong anymore. Um, so socioscientific issues allow kids two things. One is that it's going to rope them in uh, with issues of today, which makes the learning immediately applicable instead of uh, teachers providing the uh, proverbial, well, you'll need this when you're older, uh, that I always hated when I was a student, and yet I still find myself telling kids that every once in a while. Um, but more importantly, for the, the future of our society, uh, students get to practice skills like respectful communication with their peers when beliefs differ, or learning what is a what is a good source of information and how we might need to adjust our own beliefs instead of putting up our walls and fighting to hold on to them. These are skills that we can begin to develop through socio-scientific issues. So if you enjoyed this conversation and you got some value out of it, please make sure you share this episode with a colleague or your STEM coordinator. <laughs> um, and check out Dr. Khan's books, which we have linked on our show notes page. Again, you can find that jabadoo.com slash show 28, where you can also sign up for our weekly newsletter, uh, check out the Facebook group, follow us on Twitter, uh, buy a Jabadoo original teacher tee, uh, purchase an affiliate book. Man, you can do all of that on our show notes page. Again, jabadoo.com slash show 28. And until next time, Go teach. Thank you so much for listening to the Jabadoo Education Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode and you want to hear more evidence-based strategies for improving your educational career, go ahead and click that subscribe button so you can get the next episode as soon as it is released. If you think this information is beneficial and you think more teachers should hear it, the greatest compliment you can give us is to share this episode with a colleague, either through a text message, email, or social media. And last but not least, if you think more teachers need to hear more of what we are talking about, please go leave us a five-star rating and review on your platform of choice, and that will simply let the algorithm know that you are finding value in this content, and it will help boost our show to the top of the list when people search for education shows. Thank you, I appreciate you, and I will see you on the next episode of the Jabadoo Education Podcast.